I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. These midweek extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with a particular topic. And today we have on the program Sam Rayner. He's a pastor down in Florida and the author of a new book called The Church Revitalization Checklist. You know, I found this book to be really helpful, not just for church leaders, but for ministry leaders as well. And that's why I wanted to have Sam on the program. Sam Rayner serves as the president of Church Answers and is a co-founder of Rayner Publishing. He's also the lead pastor, as I said, at West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida. He writes, teaches, speaks, and consults on a variety of church health issues. Well, Sam, welcome to the program. I, I must say I found your book fascinating, interesting, and nourishing, in part because um, it resonate or or it res I resonated with this idea of revitalization, this idea of restoring all things. I mean, we we are so much into the new, right, uh, in this culture. the The idea that that a part of our mission here on earth is to be God's instruments of restoration uh, is, um, I think, sometimes missing for those of us who are constantly seeking the new. And it's one of the reasons why I liked your book. Um, it, I mean, am I reaching too far? Is that one of the things that you had in mind? Not at all. Thank you, by the way, for having me on the show, Warren. Really appreciate uh, the time to, to talk with you and your audience. Uh, you're not reaching too far at all. In fact, that's the heartbeat of the book is we need to revitalize our churches. I say that as somebody who is all for church planting, but there are, depending on who's counting and how they're counting, 300,000-ish churches in the United States, and a good chunk of them, some will say as high as 90% of the established churches that are out there will self-report that they need revitalization somewhere, uh, if not whole, you know, revitalization in whole. Uh, so to me, this is a very big uh, issue, and it's one that has been under addressed the last 30 years or so. Well, and I would say the same numbers are probably more or less um, appropriate for Christian ministries as a whole as well. I mean, you've, we've probably got a million Christian nonprofits in this country, probably about 300,000 of them are those churches that you're talking about, but that still leaves a massive number. A lot of them are kind of doing things the same old way, the way they've always done them. They've, you know, they were founded 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago in some cases. And um, the, the idea of of kind of, of you know, looking at the foundations and, and the sort of the core of an organization and, and, um, and revitalizing from the inside out, from the ground up, I think is a relevant principle for churches as, I mean, for ministries as well. I do, however, want you to reconcile a couple of ideas that I noticed in the book. You, you seem um, to be a fan of, or at least you make the case for at one point in your book, of incrementalism. In other words, you're, you're not about, you know, bur you know um, tearing down the house that's there and building a make mansion on that lot, right? I mean, you're, you know, you're, you, you do make the case for 
um, incrementalism. But you also say in, in one of the very first chapters of your book that um, that sometimes you don't just hit the pause button, but you hit the reset button. And that hitting the reset button sometimes to me does suggest kind of burning the house down and starting all over. So reconcile those two ideas. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so there are a lot of churches out there that are hanging on by their fingernails, but those fingernails are very strong. And every week can feel like um, things are just going to go south. Like this is the last Sunday. And that feeling of this is the last Sunday can last for many years. And you can, I, you know, my first church was, um, was a mega church of six people. Uh, it didn't have air conditioning. It had one deacon uh, and uh, they had just put in indoor plumbing and they had not hold, held services for two years. So <laughs> very strong fingernails. They, they had six people left, but just barely hanging on. So in the cases where you have the ability to do incremental change, I think it's wise. For a lot of churches, they weren't as far gone as my first church. They have 50 or 100 people. In fact, the median church size in the United States is 75 people. The median age is somewhere around 90 years old. Uh, Not the average age of the congregant, but how long the congregation has been there at that particular location. So there's a lot of churches that are out there that... um, they do need to change and it does need to happen and probably sooner rather than later, but it doesn't, you don't need to burn the house down as, as you say, there's plenty of them that have enough stability to where you can work your way towards uh, the change that's needed. That that's also to say that there are plenty out there that if you don't do something now, change or die, it's, you know, you're, you're sunk. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would just say to any incoming pastor, Assess the church. You know, is, is giving stable? Are the people stable? Are the ministry stable? If so, you might be able to make some incremental changes. If things really are going south and quickly, well, then you you probably need to lead quickly. Um, I always try to default to incre- incremental change. You picked up on that correctly. Um, and that's just because there's a lot of horror stories out there about people coming in and just wrecking churches, pa- pastors just wrecking churches, and, and, need, and needlessly so. Uh, but I also do recognize that there are many that are kind of in an emergency situation and things need to happen, particularly, you know, following the pandemic. You know, there was a lot of changes that a uh, lot of things that were in place that were exacerbated and accelerated. So the problems that were there were exacerbated and accelerated through the pandemic. So I would say on the other side of this, um, there are there is probably a need to pick up the pace. But incremental change can be quick incremental change, too. Um you know, it's, uh, it's, like the, it's like the patient that needs 10 surgeries, right? And uh, the patient goes to the doctor and says, doc, I'm ready. I want all 10, all at the same time. Give me all 10 surgeries all at the same time. And the doc's going to say, you, your body can't handle that. You, you may think you're ready, but you literally will not survive 10 surgeries all at the same time. There's a lot of churches that need 10 surgeries. They're not going to survive the, the 10 surgeries all at once. You got to do one at a time. Right. Well, and in fact, your book um, identifies uh, a a prescription. We've been mostly talking about sort of the diagnosis, the need for revitalization up until now. Your book offers a a bit of a prescription for that, and often in the form of checklists, which, of course, may be why you called the book the Church Revitalization Checklist. Um, And one of the the seven Ps that you identify, and I'm just going to read them real quickly if I could, Sam, priorities, pace, perspective, peace 
people, place, purpose, and pathway. We don't have time to unpack them completely, but uh, you mentioned pace. The pace of change is really one of the things that you have to assess. You've got to decide whether this is an emergency situation that requires dramatic and quick change or whether it's a, a situation that maybe could be rolled out over time. Yeah, and I would say the things where you can move quickly are where the low-hanging fruit is. Um, so go ahead and make the changes that people are going to readily accept. Um, at my church, believe it or not, so when I came to West Bradenton, um, but by the way, rule number one of revitalization is never tell the church that they need to be revitalized because uh, no church really thinks they need to be revitalized. <laughs> so you you can't come in and say, you know, I'm 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 going to be the guy that fixes all your problems. Um, don't be that pastor. Um, but when I came to West Bradenton, where I, where I currently serve, um, the people were ready for some structural changes, like polity changes, like bylaw changes. And I thought, and that's a the, no no past no pastor should come in and first month start doing bylaw changes. But they were ready for it. That is what they wanted, and that in my case was the low hanging fruit. And we were actually able to make some pretty significant structural changes that needed to happen because the people were just ready for it. So that's part of assessing pace is just coming in and understanding what can I do and what what might be some early successes that we can do quickly. And that's going to be different for every church. Yeah. yeah. Well, so Sam, let, let's move a little bit more um, into the uh, area of prescription, moving away from diagnosis into prescription. Again, as I mentioned, you've got seven areas that you encourage uh, folks to look at. We've mentioned pace very, very briefly, but um, is there some way that maybe you could kind of distill all of this down to uh, just a couple of things? If you're coming in a church, you're you're a, a pastor, a new pastor, or maybe you've been there a while and you just realize that, you know, your organization has kind of hit a flat spot. Um, and, and that might not just be a church. It might be some Christian ministry. Um, what are some of the uh, the first steps that you would recommend that uh, someone take who's in a leadership position? Yeah, the, if if I have an if I have an opportunity to give one piece of advice to pastors, um, I do some coaching and some consulting as well. And the first thing that I'm looking at, and really the main thing that I'm looking at, is how is this church moving outwardly? Is it doing? Is the is the body doing outreach? Is the body doing evangelism? And I know that there's some theology around evangelism. People have some different perspectives on that, and I get that. But is the church moving outward? Is the church making a change and an impact in the community? Are the people sharing their faith? Um, That's the first step. And everything needs to run through that filter. So if you're a church that's stuck, if you're a church that needs to be revitalized, you know, obviously go for that low hanging, low hanging fruit. We had pink carpet in our church as well and, and not nice looking pink carpet. I mean, we needed a lot of facility renovations and that was the other thing that we did. So you're saying, wow, you revitalized a church through bylaws and new carpet. Well, kind of. Um, we use those opportunities to cast a new vision as well as to say we're a neighborhood church for the nations and we're going to reach out into the neighborhood. And we're going to be here for the neighborhood. So everything that you do, and we used a capital campaign to for new carpet to um, to get the people thinking outwardly. So you know every opportunity that you have to just run through that filter, how are we moving outward with this, whatever this is? How are we equipping our people to share their faith so that Christ can be made known. Um, those That's the main thing. So if I had to distill 
everything that I write about, not just in this book, but everything, everything that I want for the church, it's that outward focus because it is so absent from congregations. It's not the Great Commission anymore. It's the Great Omission. And lots of people have said that, but it's true. And we've got to get our churches thinking outwardly again. And let me tell you, all right, you might need some facility renovations. Okay, so your group's structure isn't exactly right. And maybe your children's ministry needs a, you know, a shot in the arm. Yes, all of those things are true. But until you think outwardly, you're not going to really be doing what, you're, what you should be doing as a church. Well, you know, Sam, that is just such a great point. And I think uh, a lot of leaders um, um, miss it. They, they, they ask that question that you just asked which is really changing the carpet is the way you revitalize a church? And they answer that question, no, but they don't realize that there's something so much. Well, there's, in fact, not just something, but there's a lot more going on other than just changing the carpet. It's about arriving at consensus. It's about getting people willing to make a small change and realizing that small changes didn't kill them and maybe a slightly bigger change won't kill them either. It's about raising the money. It's about um, what what you might call the Mr. Miyagi method, right? The wax on, the wax off. They, they, they start developing some muscle memory as a body that they can use in other bigger tasks down the road. Yeah. If you, and, and let me tell you, if you're a pastor and for some of these churches, if you can just get the people to stop fighting and to unify around something that makes an impact in the neighborhood, that is a huge win. We're all, there's only so much energy in your congregation and people can't work beyond 24 hours a day. You can't, and you can't, there's only 24 hours in a day. You got to sleep. So you, you only have so much energy in the church that can be expended. And a lot of times that energy is expended on some pretty negative things. Well, start thinking about ways to get the church moving outward. So even if it's, hey, we're not fighting anymore and we're doing this one thing that everyone's kind of rallying around, I would say that's a huge success. That's a culture changing thing. Keep focusing on stuff like that. You may not feel like you're making progress now. And this gets back to that incremental change. Yes, that's an that's incre that's incremental change, but it's massive cultural change. And that's what a lot of churches need is a is, is not the technical stuff. It's not the carpet. It's not the programming. It's the culture. And when you get the culture healthy, that's when a church can start moving very quickly. Yeah. You know, uh, Sam, one of the other uh, things that I picked up from your book that I want you to say a few words about, if you would, it's not one of your P's, um, though I could make a case that maybe it should be. And that is the idea of perseverance. Uh, you talk in your book about pastors who were you know, in the midst of this process, they're trying to build something, they're trying to revitalize something, and they just get discouraged um, because it just takes longer than they think it should, or they're meeting more resistance than um, than they thought they would. Um, can you say a little bit more about this this notion of perseverance? And I would, I think, I would say, can you speak specifically to that pastor or ministry leader? who might, in fact, be discouraged right now, who's listening to us? Yeah, you know, um, I, I appreciate you pointing out that um, I probably need to add a P, because if the book sells, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm taking your advice and I'm adding that in the revised edition. That was, That's good <laughs> stuff right there. I'm kind of kicking myself, going, why did I write about that? This is always... You know what? Perfectionists don't write books, though. You got to get it published at some point. So, but thank yep. you for pointing that out. Here's what <laughs> I would say. Here's what I would say. Um, your 
address is not an accident. Where just think of think of your church address. Think of that church address. Ours is 1305 43rd Street West in Bradenton, Florida. God placed us here in 1957. It's a bit of a debate here as to when we were founded, um, but somewhere around 1957. And he sovereignly placed us here to do his mission and his work in this neighborhood. And so I would say that for any church, what's your address? God has sovereignly placed you there. So you are there for a reason. And I understand that things get frustrating. I understand that people can be hard if not mean at times, I, I, I get all that. I'm a pastor. I've, I've been there with some of that stuff, but God has sovereignly placed you there. You are the a church leader or a pastor in that congregation for a reason. And yes, your calling is, is to do things, but that calling of perseverance is so important. Don't give up. Don't quit. Um, you, you be encouraged because God has placed you there. And don't miss that. Well, you know, Sam, that is just such a good word. And one that, you know, in my line of work, um, I come face to face with that with that beautiful truth. Uh, a lot of times whenever I'm talking with people in the political sphere and otherwise, I'll talk to Christians and say, oh, we need to go back to some mythical time in the 1950s or the 1940s or, you know, back when they had prayer in schools, back when men were men or whatever the, you know, this mythical uh time of the past would be. And I, I think they forget exactly what you just said, that Acts 17 says that God himself has prescribed the time in which we live in the boundaries of our dwelling place, which is the way Acts 17 states it. And um, no matter how tough things are right now, it is such a privilege to be living in a time and called to a work that God himself has placed us in and called us to. And and I think that that what you just said is such a good word. It reminds us of that, and it is in and of itself really encouraging. Yeah, God does not save people in the past, but he will save people in the future. And so if you're longing for a past era, I understand. There's some traditions I love. Um, some might consider me a little younger. I'm at that age where the young people consider me old and the old people consider me young. Um, so I'm, you know, I guess that's middle, I'm middle-aged. Um, but, uh, God's not going to save anyone in a pat in the past. If you want to go back to the sixties or the seventies, I get it. I get it. But we can't rewind and go back there, but God will save people in the future. And so think of that address again, think of where you are right now and your goal in life and your purpose in life and your mission at your church is to do kingdom work at that little outpost. And it may be a little frustrating right now, but I believe that there is a brighter tomorrow. That's what I wrote my book about. In fact, you mentioned the title, The Church Revitalization Checklist. I went back and forth with my publisher on that. Um, it, it was it was originally called The Other Side of Tomorrow, um, because I do believe that there is good things on the other side of tomorrow. If we as the church can just go back to gospel work and think outwardly, and we will say, we will see God do stuff. Um, and it will happen now, and it will happen in the future, and that's where we need to head. That's right. And and all that said, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this end because we need to land this plane here in just a few minutes, but um, despite this forward-looking, optimistic uh, vision that you are putting forth in this book, which I, which I really resonate with and, and find it, found it very nourishing, you do also say, though, that um, 
looking to the past is a great way to enroll people in your vision moving forward. You mentioned, for example, the church that you're at, West Bradenton, had a written history uh, and that you read that book a couple of times and that you got deeply in touch with the legacy, with the heritage, with the history of that church so that in part, people wouldn't think that you were rejecting it, that that people wouldn't think that you were disrespecting it, but that they knew you knew it and they knew you res- that, that you honored it. Yeah, and that's an excellent point because there are things that you can point back to in the past to say that was a new thing back then. That generation did that new thing, and it was revolutionary, and it was innovative, and it was creative. Let's do things like that again. Let's build on that legacy, um, and let's do these new things uh, that need to be done now. And I think that if you honor the legacy and honor the things that were there in the past, it does help you propel forward as a church. It's when you neglect the history and you neglect the successes and the sacrifices that people made in the past that I think you often lose touch with particularly your older generations. And you can really connect with them by pointing out the stuff in the past. It was like, you guys did great with this. We want to do something like that again and uh, and use it to help your church move forward. Well, Sam, I want to give you a final word uh, kind of for our audience before we break up. But before we before I let you do that, I'd have one more question for you. And that's a question that in some ways is more of a, I guess, a meta question about the book itself. I'm a big fan of checklist. I've got checklist all over the place. I, you know, that's kind of how I manage my life. Checklists fall kind of in in favor and out of favor among management theorists. Obviously, your book is, the whole book is called The Church Revitalization Checklist, and you've got a lot of checklists in there. Make the case for checklists. What, what, why do you think checklists are important and how they can be helpful in, um, you know, in accomplishing big things, even though checklists are often made of very small tactical things. Well, I'll, I'll point people to another book. I probably shouldn't do that, but it's called The Checklist Manifesto. And that's where I got a lot of the inf- uh, inspiration for this book, because I just said, we can do this for the church. And, you know, if you're a pilot, you take out your, I guess they still have clipboards to some degree. They have some system of going through every little thing that they need to go through to make sure that the flight is safe. Or if you go, if you're about to go into surgery, there is a checklist that the nurses and the anesthesiologists and the surgeons they all do together. And the reason that they do that, they know what they're doing. They've done it a million times, so they don't forget something. So they keep it in front of them. So they do the things that are the priorities, and they don't get distracted. And that's really the whole point of this book: is keep the things that are priorities right in front of you, and make sure that you do them. And that's why you need a checklist. Yeah. Well, Sam, I'm grateful for the book. I found it to be nourishing, not just for church leaders, but for ministry leaders generally. And uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the Ministry Watch podcast. Uh, Any final word, anything that I'm not smart enough to ask you that you wanted to say before we break up here today? No, I would. I would. Well, I'm going to say no, and then I'm going to say something. So (laughs) be encouraged. God has a good work for you. May not be an easy work, but he's got a good work for you. Stay focused on that work and honor him as you move forward. And I believe that he will grant your church some great things. Well, that's a great word, Sam. Thank you so much. Blessings to you and thank you for your book. 
You've been listening to my conversation with Sam Rayner, and his new book is called The Church Revitalization Checklist. Before we go, a reminder that this show exists because of the generosity of readers and listeners like you. We take no money from the ministries we cover. There's no advertising on our website. We are completely listener and reader funded. If you'd like to make a donation to Ministry Watch, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate tab at the top of the page. Another way you can help the program is to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the higher we rank with search engines, and that means other people can find us more easily. Rating us just takes a few seconds, doesn't cost you a dime, and it's a quick and easy and, I should add, important way that you can support the Ministry Watch podcast. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sutton. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.